you do have a choice and don't let people make you feel like you have to accept the life that was given to you. You can write your own narrative. You can write your own story. You can make your own choices, right? And I think that's what today is about. You don't have to be a victim to your circumstance. You can be a victor to your dreams and goals. Today's show is brought to you by Organifi. Organifi is an organic superfood supplement line that makes quality, trusted nutrition convenient and accessible. Their most popular product, the green juice, solves the problem of juicing greens on the go. We all know that we need to get those fruits and greens and vegetables and all that in our diets, guys. And here's a quick and easy way to get it. You just add water, drink, and let your body soak up the benefits. Visit Organifi.com to learn more about an exciting offer for you, our podcast listeners. That's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. I wake up every single day. I am who I say I am. And I get what I get because I live in B-Smoke. Stop being gazelle. You're not average. You're not even good. You were born to be great. What's going on, world? Welcome to another edition of the Secret to Success podcast. I'm your host, CJ, joined as always by the Bayesian sensation, Mr. Carl Wesley Phillips. What it do, y'all? What's happening? And Dr. Douglas Thomas, live from New York. It's it's Saturday Saturday night night. (laughs) It's Saturday night live. All right, so let me me just get down to the brass tacks of uh, what's going on this episode. We had an episode recorded for y'all live from Jamaica, um, and it was dope. So what happened is Murphy's Law. Is it Murphy's Law? Yeah, somebody's law. Okay, Murphy's Law. Does um, Murphy's Law work in Jamaica, though? Is that in Jamaica, too? Yeah, I think so. I, it I mean, can't. I, I it do. can't. So See? we had a podcast recorded, and, um, you know, we were going to bring you guys that podcast. Uh, but half, well, not even halfway, probably 30 minutes in, uh, somebody started messing with the cords, and our audio didn't pick up. Well, it picked up, but it didn't pick up the greatest. So, um, you know, in the interest of quality control, uh, we, we decided that we would do, you know, a, another one so y'all didn't have to listen to bad audio this week. And so, again, we love you guys. So we're, we're making this happen at the 11th hour, but no excuses, just execution. And yeah, so we all here. Execution right? is worship. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little brief discussion. We'll do some fair file. We'll uh, catch up. And then um, we do have, we had a, a special guest on the podcast and his audio actually picked up. And so we're going to play that. We'll take a little pause and play that and then um, come back and talk about it. It, Just an incredible dynamic story. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to miss that. You know, like that was that that was the the most key part of the entire thing. And so um, we'll play that and then we'll have a discussion around it. But um, before that, I just want to say that I got I'm not sure if this is diagnosable, but I got like the post vacation Jamaica blues. Mm. Like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, I came back to the A. It's cold. It's, like, dark. It was rainy when we landed. I'm like, what in the world? It was like, I promise y'all, Jamaica was so beautiful. I think it was, like, a high of 86 and a low of, like, 72 the entire time time we were there. So I don't know if y'all feeling it. Y'all had to go back to Michigan and not (laughs) you in New York, but, like, yeah, I got the any anybody ever experiencing the post Jamaica blues? 
So I, I'll, yes and no, see, because I knew it would happen, like I kind of came back mentally prepared, like I'm not even talking about the weather. Let me just get in here and do what I got to do. So I've been right, trying from best to ignore it. His whole now, life is the post-vacation blues. You know right, 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 right. <laughs> Her whole life is just like, I'm, this is not what I'm used to. I got man. you, girl. Hey, yeah, for me, man, I, I, my, no, mine's is worse than that. I almost went to jail. You know what I'm saying? I got to <laughs> almost go to jail uh, blues, bruh. So what happens is, you know, for real, when you're at these resorts, you're hitting these restaurants off. It's all inclusive. Oh, you feel me? So, inclusive. so you, you ain't paying no bills. So, I, you know, I'm, I get back to the States. I'm in the restaurant the other day. You know what I'm saying? I just got he up just from got the table and walked out. I just got up and walked out, bro. You know what I'm saying? I just got up and walked out, bro. And, and what, what, what cued me, I was like, yo, Dee, did we leave a tip? And she's like, tip? She's like, you ain't paid a bill? I was like, God, my bad. You know what I'm saying, bro? Mm. Bro, and walked out of... Brother walked out a good restaurant. But, you know, for real, you, when you're at the resort, it's seven straight days of you just, I'm talking about smashing. You don't have to pay a dime. You just pull out, you know, you look, hey, where's Jamal at? I'm, that whole week, I was lo- looking on the left side. The left side, <laughs> the right whole side. Week. You know, the whole week, all over bro. the left side of the menu. I'm on the left side of the menu, bro. So, uh, <laughs> so no, I almost went to jail, bro. So uh, I had to tell myself, E, relax, bro. When you hit these restaurants, Make sure you pay. So, yeah, yeah. But, uh, man, I think for me it was rough because I landed at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon as a pastor. We had to go up to the church, some stuff we had to do at the church. I had a quick marriage session while washing clothes. And we turned around in 24 hours and um, got on the road, headed to New York. So, of course, uh, man, I just want to say, man, bro, this is crazy to say, but. Sending out a mad happy birthday. Shout out to my daughter, who's 21 hey, years 21, old. Bro. 21. 21. Crazy. Wow. I'm talking about grown, grown. Grown, grown, bro. So, um, so yeah. Your we came baby to 21. Oh, my baby 21, bro. That and hurts. you know what's so crazy? I didn't even have a baby at like, you know how sometimes, you know, because some people look at us like, you got grown kids. But it's like, we didn't even have a kid like at 17, 18. You know, I was 25 when... Um, when we had Jalen, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not saying that was stupid young, but I'm saying a lot of times people be like, you got a 21-year-old, what, when did you start? 17, 18? I was like, no, I had I had Jada at 28, you know? Um, so, yeah, I'm getting up there, bro. I'm like, yo, my my youngest is about to graduate from college, bro, you know? So, um, yeah, but shout out to Jada. I always wanted, like I said, I'm a little different. I always wanted a girl first. Of course, you know, I had um, Bug, but the Lord blessed me. I could have been like TJ you know, who was blessed with three boys. You know what I'm saying? But uh, mm-hmm. God blessed me. I always wanted a daughter. And so God blessed me. And my daughter is exactly what I thought she would be. Now, my son is not exactly what I thought he would be. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But my daughter is exactly what I thought she would be. My son is much like his father. I was hoping that we could uh, we could jump over that cycle. You know what I'm saying? But uh, yeah, man, so uh, happy birthday to her, man. I'm just tripping. She is a special soul. Um, a lot like her dad, she likes, you know, she wants, she's a social worker and she wants to, you know, save the world. So stupid proud of her because she could do so many other things and she's making a deliberate, you know, choice to do something that she knows is not going to necessarily cash her out in life, you know, but she's like, yo, I'd rather save the world than make millions. And so she definitely, her daddy's 
child, man. So I just want to, I, I don't think she'll be listening to this podcast. I don't know. But if she <laughs> ever saying? does, happy birthday, <laughs> sweetheart. Love you. Yeah, no question, man. Happy birthday, Jada. And um, yeah, no, let's, uh, I, I said the fair file in Jamaica, but I don't want to rob yes, our listening yeah, audience. Yeah, don't rob our listeners. You know what I'm saying? Them. Of the fair yeah, file. Yeah. So yeah, here yeah. goes the fair file. I was actually, um, you know, w- w- the Jamaica crew was overwhelmingly on my side of this fair file, but the fair file, guys, <laughs> was um, the day before, you know, Candace and I were leaving to Jamaica. Um, E was already in Jamaica. I get a text. Now, anytime you get a text from E that's just random and asks a random question, you know that he's angling, if you will. So I get a text. I like that. I ain't heard that word in a while. Angling. Yeah, angling. Angling. <laughs> angling. I like that. You know what I'm saying? I get a text, yeah. Carl, from E that says, just, th- just these words. <coughs> you buy the mall? Question mark. Mm. I'm like, Wait, what? Am I about mm. a mall? What kind of yeah, question is that? Like, I'm sitting I, I just, in the house. Know, yeah, I'm figuring, though, you know what I'm saying? Y'all about to go to Jamaica, so I'm figuring you out with your wife shopping and getting ready for Jamaica. No, no. So it, it I, only so I text sense. him back and said, no. And so he takes me back, the famous words that he always says when he, like, want to let you know that he hurt, but not that he mad at you. So he texts me back and said, shoot. shoot. I, said, I text him back. I said, bro, what's <laughs> up? He, like, Takes me back. Oh, no, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. I just needed some shoes. I'm like, all right. So I'm like, cool, what you need, bro? Like, I got a little time, you know what I'm saying? I'm about to run off to Jamaica, but I got a little time. So he's like, man, I just need, like, some Kohans or something. Like, did he want me to have, like, something decent so we can go to these restaurants here? So I'm like, man, all right, cool. I can run, you know, no problem. I can run to the mall. So I call my wife. I'm like, yo, you buy the mall, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you I try me? to, you feel yeah, me? I try to use, I try to use the same Jedi mind trick. So she hit me back like, nah, why? I said, well, he, you know, need me to pick up some shoes for him, whatever. She like, oh, okay, I'm at the nail shop, so I'll come back to the house and pick you up, and I'll go with you. At the time, I wasn't thinking, you know, being dumb. I'm just like, all right, cool. She gonna roll with me. Deer so, headlights. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I should have known she was angling. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Everybody plotting on that. <laughs> so we go to the mall, and now mind you, this is like literally the last second, you know, before we get ready to head out in the morning to Jamaica. So we get to the mall, and um, I find E some shoes, and, you know, matter of fact, I find him two pairs. So I'm like, oh, okay, both of these are dope. Let me, you know what I'm saying, look out for my man's. Grab him some shoes. So I go to the joint, put him on the, you know, on, on the register, take him up to the register. Here comes my wife. Boom. She slams a pair of shoes on the table. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, 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 what is this? And she's like, yo, I, you know, I had saw something at the last minute for Jamaica that me? would be nice. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it would be nice. And, you know, and so, and they wasn't other cheap varieties. So the fair file is. Fair file that I'm not only making E pay me back for his shoes, I'm making him pay for Candy's shoes too. Because she had no intentions on going to the mall, no intentions on buying another pair of shoes, except for the fact that we were already at the mall buying shoes. So in my wife's head, hey, this is a free-for-all. So fair file that I'm making E pay me back for all three pairs, including Candace's. You know what I'm saying? So E E say file, Carl. Please, fair. The situation is created by that one text. <laughs> that one wow. text. You buy them all. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, like, I'm just saying, if, 
if we want to do that, there's a whole bunch of stuff in life we're going to have to pay for. You know what I'm saying? We go back. <laughs> I don't want to open up Pandora's All I'm saying, box. E, is I was Look out, out for the your door, dog. I was out yeah. the door. I was literally, I didn't even plan on like leaving the house again to Jamaica. Neither did she. She was around the corner at the nail shop coming straight back to the house. Put a pair of shoes I up, ended up. You know Put what a pair of shoes up and ask that pair of shoes. Yeah, put that up on the hookup. Put put the Kohans on the, put that picture up for me. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Put it up the on the store. And then y'all vote. Let's yeah, see. that's a good idea. Yeah. Y'all put, see the, what the, put the shoe up and y'all yeah, vote. Put the shoe up. Fair fire, I'm making E. Pay me back for my wife's shoes because Ooh, I had to buy them jokers that's for her. Painful. You know what I'm saying? Now, so I'm, hey, now, I'm not saying it's totally foul, but I'm saying 50-50. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> not 100. You give me back half. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> half of the shoe. Uh, yeah, yeah, all right, well, we'll put we'll put it up online and and Fair we'll five. see. Um, all right, so uh, as I mentioned, we uh, we had a, a special guest, um, my man Jorge. Oh, oh, oh see. Oh, oh let's go. go for it. No, 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 you good. But before we go there, everybody been hitting me up with E. I saw you in Jamaica. It's the first time I've never seen you with the ETA gear. Like I didn't even know you had other clothes. Oh, yeah, first of all, yeah. I, mm. yeah, first of all, I didn't. I went and bought them before I got on the um, plane. <laughs> right, right. And, and, be, and, and just seriously, because I don't dress up, I didn't have any, like, and you remember, I had been on the road, like, really since December 4th. You know what I'm saying? I, I, didn't, I wasn't even home. I didn't even leave from the house to go to Jamaica. You know what I'm saying? I was, I was somewhere else. So I, I never thought through the shoe boy, right? But everybody hit me up like, E, I didn't know you had clothes. I did not have clothes. First of all, fair foul. <laughs> <laughs> that I got to dress the way my wife want me to dress. but And I'll be honest, Didi didn't say anything to me. Like She never said, like, I want you to dress up. But I just remember the last couple of times we went. You, you know how you can get to the point where somebody, um, they don't say anything to you. It's like a situation where, like, they get tired of talking to you about the same thing. Mm-hmm. You feel me? So they, this, they just, like, leave it alone. So I knew it was one of those situations where she was kind of like, I'm not even going to get on you anymore about um, I'm not even going to get on you anymore about the way you dress. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew I knew she was on that. And so I was like, you know what? I'm I'm going to take the initiative and make sure that when we do our conferences and we go out to eat, I'm not going to have on my gym shoes. I'm not going to have on my gym shorts. You know, I'm not going to have on my ETA, you know, T-shirts or whatever. So um, so for all the people who text me and call me. That's that's what it was all about, man. I was like, you know what? Like, don't, don't, you know, like make this trip special. Like, take it to the next level. Always trying to grow. Always trying to think of something I could do. You know what I'm saying? To make my marriage better. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get, not only am I going to dress up, I'm going to go and like let her look at each. Man, I was in the fitting room. I promise you, bro. I was like, what am I doing? You know what I'm saying? But I call her. She's like, my whole life, so I ain't got to dress up. You know what I'm saying? I was gonna say, see, is this the trajectory back to the suit and tie? Is that where we going? Oh, uh, no, nah, bro. I oh, promise you, we're not going that far. Yeah, no, if I see that, then something is going <laughs> terribly wrong for the hip hop preacher. You know what I'm saying? If I see you in that, uh, yeah, no. Nah. So you're saying the Kohans helped to make a marital bliss experience in Jamaica? Um, I'm just saying, was that it it been just a subtle way to make it fair? Is that what it is? I, oh, I'm just saying. It sounds like the Kohans was a major piece to y'all having a blissful vacation in Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm saying, see, imagine the outfits I had with my little running black Nike shoes. Like it just would have just threw the whole, you know what I'm oh, saying? The it's whole like, would've vibe would have been off. Yeah. The whole yeah, penthouse suite, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The whole <laughs> vibe would have been killed. 
So hey, yeah, I no, FaceTime Tamisha. Uh, see, I FaceTime Tamisha. E and Didi was standing on the top, looking over the balcony. She's like, "Is that Eric and Didi up there? That look like a castle." Oh, I was like, yeah. "Yeah, pretty much." Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> this, was. this was yeah, this was not a regular room, and this is uh, yeah, it was like some, it was like some uh, 18th century stuff. I don't know what they had, but it was clean though. So yeah, no, shout out to E for for dressing up. You know what I'm saying? Looking dapper. On the uh, on the trip, man. <laughs> Shout out to everybody who came to the trip. Let's just get yeah. that out the way, man. Just an incredible time. We climbed up Duns River Falls as a, as a group. Uh, that was a ton of fun, man. Nobody yeah. got seriously injured or hurt doing it. So that was a blessing, man. And um, you know they made us a little DVD. Now, fair file the DVD. So they made us a DVD, right? You go up Duns River. <laughs> First of all, I'm like, bro, where in the world am I gonna play a DVD? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just trying to be. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm being for real. So, Carl, I don't know if you ever did it, but basically what happens is you get like a little tour guide. You know, they hustling. They, you know, they doing their thing. They making money. So they got the camera out on y'all and they making you like say stuff, chant stuff, and they take a video. My man basically runs up the falls with you and creates a whole DVD. And so at the end of the hookup, of course, you know, you buy in the DVD basically as a show love to my man for looking out, right? Yeah. Like nobody really necessarily wants the DVD. You know, we don't even know, again, I don't think we got a DVD player. So anyway, Candace, of course, she's like, oh no, I wanna buy it, so cool, we get the DVD. So last night, so the DVD is like 30 minutes long. It's us climbing up the falls, so we like, oh, it's a video of us climbing up the falls, cool, we'll have it, keepsake, whatever. She pops the DVD in, why is, it's 30 minutes, why is the first 19 minutes a Welcome to Jamaica video? <laughs> <laughs> And then like the last 11 is like you climbing up the falls. So <laughs> shout out to my man Genius. Uh, who Genius. took us up the falls, but that was that was grimy. You should have told us the, the first uh, three quarters of it was just a history of Jamaica. <laughs> and then the last 10 minutes was just us climbing up the falls. So uh, we had a great time though. So shout out to everybody who came out, man. And if you're yeah. listening to this podcast and you didn't get a chance to, um, we will be hitting another all-inclusive next year, so you don't have to miss out. So details coming soon on that. We look forward to you joining us. Shout out to everybody. Man, we had a ton of people in Jamaica already sign up, so when we announce it, um, y'all better be on it, all right? Cool. So let's jump in. Are we good now? Are we good? Anybody got anything no, else they no, want to no, add no, before we jump into some, some content here? Yeah, nothing we else get, to add. Let's get it. You sure? All right, cool. So um, we're going to play the, the actual uh, story uh, I don't. I don't need to do too much of the setting up. But Jorge is man, one of my beloved uh, game changer students. You know, we've been working with him on the speak, and he's actually uh, finishing up his book right now. And um, just a, just a great human being, man. He's he's full of energy. He came up to me at an event. Um, it had to be what a year ago, two years ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And at um, least two. Just said, we you know, I got I got a story, and I want to be a speaker. And he kind of gave me the five minute version of his story at an event, and I was blown away. So I told him, man, I'd be honored to help you, you know, get into the speaking game, into the speaking industry. And so he joined the Game Changer program, and he's just doing amazing things now. He's traveling, you know, across the country, telling his story, and. Um, I was like, man, on, on you know the the trip, I, you know, I saw Jorge there, man, and he inspires me so much that I was like, yo, jump on the podcast. And so this is Jorge's story from the live podcast. Um, the commentary afterwards is what got you know messed up with the audio, so we'll come back and we'll touch on it. But here's my man Jorge with 
without further ado. You know, when you, when you believe in what is inside of you, when, all, when everything around you seems like left field, and you get to that point that you get recognized by folks that you respect, love, and know that they have the best interest for you, it feels amazing. So I just wanna say thank you for just allowing me to sit up here at the table. It took me a long time to get to the table. Um, so just real quick, you know, I come from a, a long line of welfare recipients. Uh, you know, first of all, my name is Jorge. Um, I, uh, you know, was born in Puerto Rico, but raised in the States. And so my mother had me at the age of 15 and she dropped me off at my grandmother's house at the age of three. And so for the longest, I lived in a household full of females, cousins, aunts, two male figures in my household. And one of them was my grandfather and one of them was my uncle. I remember holidays just being bloodshed amongst family members, whether it was my aunt, my uncle, my grandfather, my grandmother, everybody. And so for the longest, I always thought that my situation defined who I was. And I really identified with what's in front of me. And so I, I grew up with this thing inside of me with, with, with some anger. Anger because, uh, you know, there was nobody paying attention to me. I got raised in a house. I never got trained. And so education was never a thing in my household. So by the time I hit 13, I, I, I didn't know what that looked like, CJ, but I just know I, I did not want to look like that. Like, I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't have no blueprint. I didn't have no, no male figures. I didn't have nobody stopping me. Oh, hey, like, listen, this is, what, this is what it looks like. Education is powerful. That'll change your life. And so I, all I seen was hustlers. All I seen is people lying, stepping on each other. I seen people um, breaking trust. And so for the longest, that's what, it was, that's what was building. It wasn't who I was, but it was building these, these demons inside of me. By the time I hit 15, you know, I, I was in a position that I just left the house. I just truly didn't have no respect for anybody. So I was just like, yo, I'm not gonna get what I need here. So I started looking to the dope boys. I started looking to the streets. I started looking to uh, the shiny little things um, that a lot of our youth look into because we as parents or we as a society, we neglect to take care of those individuals that are gonna be the future leaders of our, of our, of our country, of our life. And so by 15, I, uh, I remember just being in high school and so the one thing that kept me in school, because I was already with one foot in, one foot out. I was already mingling with the streets, but I was still going to school. And so, and still holding on, still like, let me finish school, let me finish school. But there was no value to it in my life at the moment. And the one thing that kept me there was just football. And I've always wanted to play organized football, but as a little youngling, I couldn't do it because nobody actually took me to no field. Nobody would take me to no field trips. Nobody did projects with me at home. Like it was just not the thing. And so for the longest, uh, when I did join the, the team and I made it, I was actually decent. The coach loved on me and it was a good experience. I was actually part of something positive. Mm. I remember being in the football fields, parents coming to, to their kids, watch their kids play. And I remember saying like, well, I don't got nobody watching me, but I was geeked that I was on the field. I was geeked that I was just able to put those pads. I was so honored to walk down the hallways with my jersey. And so, like I said, education was not celebrated. And if you all know that when you're in high school, for you to be able to play any activity, you have to be eligible. And so it seems it ended, I wanted to go into uh, wrestling, and they said, "Now nah, you can't play no sports. Your grades not, are not a part. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I decided to just turn around and just walk away from school. So that decision right there at that moment, fast forward me to uh, being 17, two years of gang banging, involved into the streets, gun trade, drug trade, I mean, you name it all. I, at that point, I thought I was the man. I had an S on my chest, you couldn't tell me otherwise. I had money, 
females was never a problem. And so I did what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. But that led me to right in Bristol, Connecticut, Courthouse Police Department. And I was walking by with crack cocaine on myself and I stopped to talk to a couple of individuals. And so in the midst of me talking to them, I didn't know that 10 minutes prior to me talking to them, they were playing with a cap gun. And so I remember just arriving there to that, to talking to those individuals. And so as minutes, I'm telling you, I was there for like a minute, let's say 60 seconds. I'm getting put against the wall because they're looking for a gun. Somebody called saying that they were playing with a gun in front of the police department courthouse. That allowed me to uh, get caught with crack cocaine in front of a federal building, Bristol, Connecticut courthouse, and they arrested me right there and then. For the grace of God, my grandmother bailed me out, and so I was able to, you know, I had a court date, which May 2nd of 94 was my court date. That was a month after I got caught with the crack cocaine. I had to come back to the same building that I got caught with the crack cocaine in front of. And so I remember walking with my mother, and remember I told you, me and my mother never had that relationship. We never had that connection. It was more like a brother and sister. But because I was a minor, I had to bring an adult with me. Uh, society said I was not old enough to, uh, to be able to represent myself uh, in, in, a court, in a courtroom. And so when she came, uh, we were sitting in front of the court, in front of the judge, and I remember a gentleman just walking through the door, and I looked over my shoulders, didn't know what the, who the man was, but at that time I had these things, what I call spider senses. And I, I, when we locked out, he gave me that look, I gave him that look, but my pride kicked in, and so my shoulders went back, my head went back, and I, I was just like, what, what's up? That turned into him making a phone call, I made a phone call, four individuals got there, about five minutes after that, that incident, and so that turned into a verbal altercation. Uh, verbal altercation turned into a physical altercation, and so right in the middle of the courtroom, I'm fighting four dudes, and my mother's screaming, and she's like, yo, Jorge, please, por favor, don't, you know, please don't, just chill, relax. I was so numb, I, 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 even though, like, I was not in a physical chair, I had a paralyzed mindset. And so to me, it didn't matter where I was, it didn't matter what was gonna happen, you was not gonna disrespect me. You was not gonna disrespect me in front of my mother. Yeah. Now, key word, you, you know I said that me and her didn't have a relationship, so really was it about my mother? Nah, I was just more ego tripping because I didn't want nobody disrespecting me, period. And so that led to us getting out, thrown out of the courtroom, dragged down the stairs, so the courtroom is in the second floor, police department's in the first floor, and I remember saying to myself, it's about to get real, you know, because I'm thinking we're gonna get arrested. And so when we hit the bottom of the stairs, all four of us, sheriffs, I'm talking about it's a chaos, everybody's screaming, my mother's still screaming, they dragging her down, and I'm thinking we're gonna take a right into the police department, which is on the first floor, but we actually took a left and turned to all of us getting pushed outside. Pretty much take it outside type thing. And so as I take it outside, I said to myself, well, I gotta fight. I got four individuals, I gotta fight. And so I hear my mom over my right shoulder, and she said, Jorge, Jorge, Gun, gun. So I jumped in front of my mom, and so the first, the first shot stopped me. And then instantly, it was just, it was just like, have you ever heard of The Matrix, the movie The Matrix? It was just time, time stopped. It was just to me, like, all I can remember saying is that the second bullet hit me, and I said to myself, I said, I said, you know what, Jorge, they're going to kill you. And that's all I could hear. My, that's all I could hear. All that chaos went away. I could hear a buzz ringing, and I could hear my, my thoughts saying to myself, like, yo, if you don't run, they're going to kill you. And so as I turn around, you know, and I try to run into the building, my knees had gotten buckled, my body, you know, loosened up, and it, and it just collapsed, and I landed right on my face. And then I get hit four more times, you know, bam, 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 right in my back. So not, not only, you know, at this point when I'm, when, 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 even though me and my mother had this, this weird relationship, even though it was, it was one of those things that, that 
you know, I'm her first son, and she dropped me off, and, and I know there was reasons behind it. Um, you know, she urinated on herself. Like, she, she, you know, her first son, her first, her only son, um, got gunned down at her, at her feet. And so as I was laying there, and I remember saying to myself, CJ, I remember saying to myself, I, said, I can't, am I dying? Like, I, I, for real, for real, am I dying? Because the 17-year-old me started crying inside. And so now really realistically, all that ma macho, all that, all that toughness, like I'm crying like a little 17, because realistically I was a baby. But I'm saying to myself, the first thing I said to myself, I said, I can't feel my legs. You see, it was May 2nd of 94 at 12 o'clock in the afternoon, I got gunned down at the doorsteps of the Bristol Police Department courthouse. The only reason I made it alive out of that situation is because it happens to be that the ambulance was having lunch right across the street, and they seen what went down, and they were already on the scene. They were already on the scene. Like, I'll be honest with you. They hit me six times, and, and it was not for me to be here. Because it was said at, said at, at a point that the ambulance was there, they were on the scene, they were, act, they were, act, they were able to act, drive, uh, drive me to the high school, from the same high school I dropped out, lifeguard all the way to another town. And so I wake up, and I wake up, and I find myself just sitting in a, you know, I wake up, and I, I got these machines in my face and in my mouth, and I'm still saying to myself, like, like, yo, am I dying? Like, like what's going on? Like, I'm scared. Like, my life, I could feel my last, my, my last breath coming out. And so, at that moment, I hear the doctor come in, and the doctor tells my grandmother and my mother, your son will never walk again. And so I start crying, you know, because that was, that was life-changing for me. And I remember getting into, from the hospital into the rehab, and being in the rehab, I sat in the hospital, and now I'm wearing diapers. Like, I'm 17 and I'm wearing diapers. Now they're telling me that the, for, we, for me to urinate, I have to use a catheter. And so they had to train me how to live life all over again. Mm. Basic things are from transferring from bed to the chair, um, getting off the sidewalk. They would put me in the kitchen scenery and show me how to grab things and pick things and cook in the kitchen or get in and out of the car. I had to really literally learn how to relive life like a baby because now my life has, has been changed. And so at that point, um, you know, May 2nd of 94, I got put in a chair, but I, May 2nd of 90, uh, December of 94, I had a daughter. And it was, it was a, sweater be, uh, a, sweater, a sweet, tight, a bitter situation for me. And I just said to myself, I said, Horia, things are gonna change. But in the midst of all that, even when I was saying to myself, things are gonna change, I still have my daughter in my arm and I'm still in a circle full of dudes, doing meetings, talking about gang-affiliated stuff. And, and as I'm sitting there, I'm, I see myself as a third person and I'm like, yo, like, this is not cool. Now I start thinking about another human being that's in my hands. And so that led me to uh, eventually move out of Connecticut and I ended up in Massachusetts. Um, I was getting sick. I didn't want to leave right away because I felt that nobody was going to chase me out of here. Like I had that attitude. I'm telling you, I, I, I was worse than what I was when I was walking. I actually didn't have no respect for life. I wanted people to feel the pain I, I was going through. And so that led me to Massachusetts. I was getting sick. My grandmother, everybody had left. Nobody wanted nothing to do with me. So some folks went to New York. My grandmother went to uh, Massachusetts. And so eventually, two years, three years after that, I ended up in Massachusetts. And that put me in a position that I found myself, as funny as it is, I started running from something that I wanted to change, but I found myself going to Massachusetts and creating the same habits. Right. What do I mean by that? I started meeting the same type of people. I started surrounding myself by the same type of culture. And it was just one of those things like, oh, Jorge, you didn't learn the first time, but you're going down the same route it's different state, different people, but the same, same environment, same time. And so I realized that I needed to make a change, and for the grace of God, I found Barbara. And so 
that's a whole different situation because when I entered barbering, it was just me learning how to just be civil, just mm -hmm. being a person, just being, be able to communicate with individuals. So yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, and this, there's more to it from where, where I got here, but that's the core of Jorge Sierra. Where I come from, I come from nothing. Um, I always say that I come from dirt, but I met, a, I met a gentleman named Felipe, and Felipe told me that he came from Mexico, and he came from, uh, uh, his household was made out of dirt floor. And so when I met Felipe, and he told me his story, I was like, yo, I can never say I come from nothing, because I never had a dirt floor before. You know what I'm saying? Even though it was the bottom. Give it up for Jorge, y'all. So it's crazy because when I met you, you know, good looking dude, charming, you know, comes up to me, you know, telling me he wants to speak. I'm like, man, this guy's gonna be great. And then I remember, I'll never forget, the very first game changer call we had, Jorge calls, he's talking, he's doing his thing, he sounds like he's full of life, full of energy. And I think you told me you had been in the, you were calling from the hospital bed and had been in there, what, a month? Uh, I was there for about a month, yep. This man called from the hospital bed. And each and every time he would go to the hospital, I would never know until afterwards. And I was like, yo, it's crazy because most people will want sympathy. Most people will shoot me a text and be like, yo, see, you, I'm, I'm in the hospital, can you call? You know, and, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with that. But what has given you the strength to, even now when it gets tough, and we're going somewhere, E, get your mic ready. E, I guess for you, let me pass this to E. Um, when we talk about it's funny because of who you are, right? Like you get people from all walks of life. And I've literally seen people run up on you and go, man, E, I need your help. My dad wasn't in my life. We didn't have any money. We struggled. I was on welfare. I did this, I did that. And then in the very next breath, somebody will run up to you and go, man, E, my dad is a millionaire. He just handed me everything. I never had to do anything. And now I'm struggling in life. Can you talk about just the difference in the mindset of everybody in here could turn themselves into a victim, right? Like everybody in here, and don't do it, right? But everybody here could go to a dark spot and think of the worst time in your life, the worst thing that ever happened to you. You can probably, if you just sat and dwelled on it long enough, you can probably recreate that pain enough to cry, like literally cry tears if you took that deepest, darkest moment. Now don't do it, because we're having a great time here in Jamaica, right? I see some of y'all like, see, stop. <laughs> But you, you have other people who choose to just live a certain way regardless of the circumstances. I look at my wife. Many of you know, my wife's father was shot in the head and killed two years ago. Maybe not even two years ago, a year and a half ago. And I watched how she still chose to live her life in a certain way. That doesn't mean you don't get sad. That doesn't mean you mourn it. Like, it doesn't mean anything. But if, if my wife told me right now, Jorge, Yo, I'm still dealing with the effects of my dad. I'm sorry, I'm just not gonna be available for you for the next six months. I wouldn't even be mad. But instead, she chose to say, you know what? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. And I look at my wife and I look at her strength and I'm like, wow, she could have chose to dwell on that. And, and she wouldn't have been a bad person for it. So, E, of course, you, what you went through, you know, with your father, you, you could have stayed in that place with your dad. You could have still been angry with him. There may you know, be some things you wish he did different. How do you develop that mindset where you have these traumatic situations and they still hurt, you know, but you get through them, you get over them, and still decide to live as a victor, not a victim? Yeah, you know, for me, see, um, you know, when I, when, I look, when I look at this whole concept of victor and victim, 
you know, I have to ask myself when I was being a victim, because I was, let's just be real. I'm not going to sit here and act like this version of Eric Thomas, like I was always here. You know what I'm saying? That's not the truth. I was a victim for a long time. Matter of fact, I was a victim before I even knew what a victor was, you know, and I lived in a very dark place. And I remember saying to myself, like, yo, E, whatever it is you're doing, like, it's not working. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and y'all know me, man. Y'all know one of my favorite uh, clips is when KG, Kevin Garnett, for those of you who don't watch basketball, he's sitting here with uh, uh, John Thompson, the, you know, the, used to be the coach of Georgetown. And he's kind of crying and going through it. And, and it's like, John Thompson, like, bro, you're making $100 million. You're playing in the NBA. You know, what? Like, what's, what's the problem? And Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett says, I'm losing, man. I'm losing. You know, I'm losing. And I just remember when I was a victim, I was losing. You know, my father wasn't in my life. You know, my mom didn't do this. And, you know, I was born in Detroit and I didn't get to go to this school and I didn't have this. And I was losing, bro. And I got tired, like losing, like literally losing, homeless. You know, like literally living in an abandoned building, sleeping in cars. Like I was losing, not doing well in school, got kicked out of school, losing. You know, um, getting caught stealing from the mall, you know, in jail, like losing, losing, not like some little baby losing. Like I was losing, losing. And I said to myself, y'all, I was like, yo, E, the, the victim thing ain't working. You know what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, it's not working. Like like your like your life is not better as a result of it. And um, I started reading books and, you know, just start getting around different people. And they were just like, yo, you need to let this victim mentality go and you need to be a victor. And I didn't know what a victor was, to be honest with y'all. And I look at, man, let me tell y'all something. When I look at Jorge, the one thing that I want to reiterate that he really didn't go into is Jorge has to use a catheter, bro. Do, do you understand that that means in terms of his preparation to get his day started, it's going to take Jorge at least an hour and a half, two hours. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he can't, he can't, you know, have a movement on his own. So everything he does like he has to do it manually. You, you understand that? So, so, and, and then you're talking about not only that, because my mother-in-law, you know, when she was diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately, she had to go through that same procedure, but she's doing it walking. He's not, he can't walk, man. So do you understand how easy it could have been for him to be a victim and say, woe is me? You know, I, like, but he's fighting. And you have people who have both arms and the use of both legs, you know, and are mobile and, you know, have some of the other luxuries of life and they're not doing nothing. So when Jorge said, what's your wheelchair? The reality is, see, your wheelchair is not a physical wheelchair. There are some people with two arms, two legs that's functional, brain functional. They, they have two parents. They've got certain resources and they're not even doing what Jorge doing. Jorge got his own website. He got his own business cards. He has his own story. He, you know, he's got his own bit IEN number. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like he got his own bank account. He's got his own agent. Like he's doing more for marriage, bodybuilding, ma ma <laughs> Mary bodybuilding, bro. He doing more. He's doing more paralyzed, if you will, than people who aren't paralyzed, you know? So, so really when you ask yourself, what is paralyzed? Like he said, it's your mind. And I was paralyzed y'all. It was like, my father wasn't there. My mama didn't do this. It was like, 
it was always my, somebody else's fault, see? And I think that's the victim mentality that we have to be cautious of. It is always external. Somebody owe me or somebody else. I'm waiting for somebody else to do for me. Or I'm, It's like you're always waiting. Somebody, somebody's always wrong and you're right. You know, somebody always didn't do what they supposed to do. You're always waiting on somebody else. And I just got to the point, man, where I was like, yo, E, this is this is crippling, bro. This is debilitating. Like, you got to take ownership. Like, this is your life. And even if somebody else plays a small part in it, if you are a, okay, and I don't know if I've ever said this before, but it was my mother's fault. It was my father's fault. It was my teacher's fault. It was the police officer that pulled me over at three o'clock fault. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you go through my life, it was always somebody else's fault. And then I read in um, Dennis Kimbrough's book, he said that if five people, you're saying that five people are the problem for your life and don't none of them know nobody but you. My teacher didn't know my counselor in terms of my therapist. My therapist didn't know the police officer. Police officer didn't know my mom. It was one common denominator in this story, Eric Thomas. Eric, the, the, the person that um, arrested me for stealing from the mall, they didn't know my ninth grade teacher. But one person was the, was, the, was the one common denominator in all of this mess, and that was Eric Thomas. And it wasn't until I looked in the mirror and really dealt with, yo, E, you, you your enemy, bro. You sleeping with the enemy. And here's the cool part. Once you can acknowledge that you are the enemy, that it's your fault, it's nobody else's fault. It's not your father's fault. It's not your mother's fault. It's not the police officer's fault. It's not your teacher's fault. Once you look in the mirror and say, you know what? It's my fault. Now you have given yourself the power to do something about it. And as soon as I acknowledged it's my fault, you've been a victim your whole life. At that point, I was empowered. At that point, I empowered myself and said, for all these years, you've been the problem. Now it's time for you to become the solution. And it doesn't mean that nobody's going to assist you in the process, but it means that you take this level of responsibility and you say, that's what a victor is. It doesn't mean now all of a sudden you're a millionaire. I was still homeless when I came to that conclusion. You know what I'm saying? I still didn't have transportation. I still didn't have a bank account. I still didn't have a website when I looked at myself in the mirror and was like, yo, E, it's your fault. But what, I, but what happened in my life at that point, even though nothing physically changed, my mindset changed. And then once my mindset changed, everything changed. Why do you think, why do you think personal accountability is so hard for people? Like, is it because we would rather see, live with on, the excuse? Yeah, see, you, bruh, let me tell you something. I remember when I first said to myself, E, you a liar. Bro, do you know how hard that was? I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, yo, bro, you just be lying. Like, flat out. So that you don't get in trouble. You just lie. Like, like I promise you, my mom would ask me a question and I would just lie about my grades. I would just lie. You know what I'm saying? And it was so hard to deal with. I'm a liar. You know, like, and I think that's why gossiping is so powerful. Because it's easier for us to talk about what other people aren't doing like, it makes you feel good about yourself. This person ain't this, and this person ain't that. But, bruh, when I realized, like, yo, when I had to really say lying was the first one, I think the second thing that really devastated me was that you have a learning disability, like, flat out. And not necessarily that you can't turn around, 
but like you just don't naturally get it. Like you don't just naturally know how to read. You don't naturally. And bro, when people teasing you, that's one thing. But when you have to acknowledge it yourself, because here's what happens. Once you recognize you have a deficiency, then you got to ask yourself the question is like, yo, am I really am I ready to do the work that it takes to turn this thing around? You know, so, yeah, for me, see, I don't know for nobody else, but for me, it's hard to be honest with yourself. Like, it's hard to deal with you not perfect, that you're not. And I don't use the word perfect. Like, everybody know they ain't perfect. But, like, most of us don't want to deal with our dirt. We don't want to deal with the evil that's in us. We don't want to deal with the bad. We would prefer to be looked at at least as decent people, you know, if not good. And at 17, 16, 17, I had to deal with the reality of, like, yo, you homeless because of you. Like, you are a high school dropout because of you. You living in abandoned buildings because of you. Now, maybe there were some other contributing factors, but like 80, 90% of this, this is on you. But at the same time, when you can do that, even though it's devastating and it's heartbreaking, at that same moment, if it makes sense or not, at that same moment when you realize that, you also realize, yep, I can turn this thing around. It's going to take some work, but I can turn this thing around. You know, Toby and I were talking and, you know, he was just like, man, my team, you know, sometimes they, you know, they make me mad and we got stuff to do and they coming up. And I said, man, listen, um, I said, the reason I was so hard on you and the reason that, you know, I try not to make excuses myself or, you know, try to take, you know, whatever mistakes or, you know, blame on my own shoulders is because if I take the blame, like you said, then I'm responsible. I can I know it can be fixed. And the minute I say it's somebody else's fault, you lose all control because they're yeah, basically yeah. in control of your destiny. And so that's yeah, yeah. it's kind of the same thing, E, when we talked about like, you know, early on, people wanted to give us money and buy into the company and wanted us to do stuff and they would take creative control. I was just like, yo, if I give you creative control, my destiny is no longer in my hands. It, in my and so hand. what you're talking Absolutely. about is so crucial because when you go through a divorce and you got cheated on and your spouse left you, and your life is terrible because of them, you can never get that fixed. That person has the power over you until you let it go and decide to become a victor. And so the reason that I think this is such a deep topic area is because people have situations and issues. Now, listen, I am the last one to minimize what you went through. I think Carl and I have been very vague about the fact that we both had incredible childhoods, great parents, very middle class, Never had to eat out of trash cans. I never had to deal with the stuff my wife went through. But at the same time, I understand the pain may be bad, but if you don't take that pain and do something with it, if you continue to allow other people to to hold that power in their hands and you don't have it in your hands, your destiny will forever be tied to them. And so I look at those situations and I look at people who go through things and I'm like, yo, I understand it. But here are good examples of people who decided to say, you know what? I'm taking that power back in my own hands. I'm in control of my own happiness. I'm in control of my own destiny. And the problem with blaming and every time it's somebody else's fault, you're not in control. And so I just, you know, me, maybe it's the gorilla. You could help me. But like, even, you know, around us, like it'll be a mistake made or a ball drop. I promise you, I can go to five people and five people going to pass the blame around. And nobody wants to say, yo, that's my bad. I take that L. Yep, that's on me. Put it on me, you know, because it's easier to pass it off. But I'm like, yo, if, if you're if you constantly passing the buck, 
you're never in control of your own destiny. And so can you talk about it from that sense of what it did for you in terms of being able to realign yourself and get back on the right track because it was your responsibility to fix it now? Yeah, but I'm just saying, so let's let's look at it like for real, for real. So I think one of the reasons why we passed the buck as well from what you just mentioned, it's like, look, man, you, you, you fear that if people are putting the blame on you or they're saying like, it's your fault, you didn't execute, you didn't follow through, then sometimes you can see that as, like if you're looking at it from the surface level, you can look at that as, I'm gonna lose my job or I'm gonna lose my credibility with this person, you know, or I don't look good. And for real, let's just be honest, bro, at the end of the day, whenever you move forward, you don't do a thing to look bad. You actually do it because you're trying to look good or because you're trying to execute, you know, one or the other. Either you're doing it because, you know, and, and forgive me for, you know, always referring to the test, but if you're a flamingo or a chameleon, your, your whole thing is others. So you're actually doing it to really get in a good grace with people. And if you are a gorilla or a turtle, you're actually doing it to complete a task, right? So if, if, you, if neither one of those things happen, and that was the goal, then of course you, you, you feel bad because you're like, yo, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't make that person happy or I didn't execute. And that's not a good feeling, let's just be real. But at the same time, since you've already gonna take a L, let's now get the W. And the W is, all right, how can I make sure that this doesn't happen again? And I think that's what happened to me, see? I got to a point where it wasn't just about, okay, I'm losing. I started asking myself, what do I have to do so that next year this time, I'm not in the same place I'm in right now? And I don't know how that happened, but I had gotten to a place where I think when I got arrested and I was you know, going through the mall, I talk about how my, my aunt saw me and then she made phone calls and told everybody in my family that she saw me at the mall stealing. And I remember saying to myself, like, yo, there's nothing you could do about that. But what do you need to do? Like, what do you need to do from this point forth to put yourself in a position where when you come back next year, you don't have to, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you're not having to worry about getting in trouble with the law. Like, what are you going to have to do to put yourself in a different position? So real quick, see, I just want five things I want people to think about. Let's go back to Jorge. Number one, you have to get to a place where you have to say, how do I stop the bleeding? Number one. So, so whatever's going on in your life that's bleeding, I want you to stop and ask yourself, okay, where am I bleeding at? Um, and what do I need to do to stop the bleeding? That's number one, right? So what's the situation? I'm, I'm glad you're teaching, but let's talk about some areas because people might not think it applies to them. So okay. this could be relationships. Yeah. It could be financial. It could be your health. You, you eating, you, you, your, your body fat is out of control, right? Like, so we're, I just want to make it real for people who are out there listening who might think we're just talking about traumatic experiences. No, we're not talking about just you know, uh, you were homeless or your father, it could be, you know, it could be a myriad of things in your life in which you are quote unquote bleeding, right? Like, so we're talking about, just think of the area in your life that's not going right, that you said you were going to fix, that you should have fixed, that still, you know, five years ago, you were dealing with the exact same problem. You told yourself five years ago, you were going to lose weight and you still not losing, you're still bleeding, right? So I just want to make it practical. So I'm sorry, but go, I just want to put some flesh on it. So, so, so number one, you know, let's stop the bleeding. Number two, it's never as bad as you think it is. You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes what happens is we get overwhelmed with 
the, the bad part of it, that we can't mm-hmm. see yeah, the light. Crazy. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, when you're homeless, bro, it's just like, it feels like it's the end of the world. You know, it's like, how did I get here? Nobody's supposed to be here. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody's supposed to be 16 years old in an abandoned building. So you can get overwhelmed with the reality of what is that you're blind to all the good stuff. So number three, Jorge starts to look at now, what do I have? I got my life. No, I don't have the use of my legs, but I got my life. I got shot five times or six times, whatever he said. He should have lost his life. So it's like, I got my life. I got my grandma. You know, I have somewhat of a relationship with my mom. I have this beautiful daughter. You know what I'm saying? Even though I can't do certain things. um, what, What do I have? I have use of my hands so I can be a barber, right? Number four, okay, what can I do right now today to utilize everything that I have so I can go to a barber school? You know what I'm saying? I can go get in my daughter's life and stop playing this victim. You feel what I'm saying? And then five, what can I do? Not only can I use my hands, I can dominate. I can say to myself that whatever it is my hand finds to do, I can do it with, with, with a level of excellency. And, and what a lot of people don't realize, see, is that excellence brings you freedom. That when you operate at a level of excellence, there's a certain freedom you have. That you, there's a certain amount of money you can start making now when you barber well, or you speak well, you brand well, you edit well. So when you excellent, there's, there's a freedom that you get that you don't get when you are not operating at a spirit of excellence. You feel what I'm saying? So for me, it was just that. It was like, yo, E, for real, stop the bleeding, bruh. Like, you don't have to keep going down this path. And if you do, you're going to be dead or in jail. You know, number two, it's not that bad. Yeah, you homeless, but you have your life. You have a church family. You got a girlfriend. Like, yo, you, 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 got, you have opportunities. Number three, okay, how, what do I have? Well, you, you can finish, you can go get your GED and finish school, and then you can go to college. And then when I went to college, it was like, okay, what do you have in college? I can speak. I might not be able to do a whole lot of stuff well, but I know how to speak. And then take that speaking and turn that into a profession. And then I started attracting all kind of great people, great situations, great opportunities with my speaking. And once I got excellent, I could go from obscurity to number one motivational speaker in the world. So, so I know it's a whole lot more we could talk about, but those are four Ways I want you five. to look at it. You know what I'm saying? Five. Oh, oh, five, five, five ways five. I want you, you to look five. at it. I didn't yeah, count, yeah. but you said five. Yeah, five yeah, ways. No, and, and I think, you know, the fifth one, to speak to that, I think, you know, one thing that, you know, I've seen in, in your life and even Candace's life and, you know, people who have went through things is when you go through it and you decide not to become a victim but to become a victor and to speak to point number five, you have to replace that victimhood with something. Right. Like you have to focus that energy because for real, when you a victim, you spend so much time in your victimhood and thinking about how bad things are and thinking about how it's everybody else's fault. That if you're going to come out of that, you got to find something else positive to wrap yourself in. And I think that last point that you made about like, yo, what do I have? How can I dominate and master that lane? You have to start replacing that victimhood with confidence, with wins, with small wins, and and start getting that momentum going the other way. So I think that's a great tidbit for those of you looking to get on the other side and stop that bleeding. What are you going to replace it with? If you've been a a, a constant overeater, what are you gonna replace that with? If you, you know, struggle with alcohol, what are you gonna replace that with? You know what I mean? Like finding that other thing 
that can kind of give you that same euphoric feeling as and by euphoric, maybe that's not the best word, but can give can replace that brain it's space replaced, if you yeah. will, because you've spent so much time in that victimhood. So sorry about that, Carl. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, and, and man, I just want to go to the other side of it for a second. So I'm imploring everybody listening to this podcast for real. I'm choked up over here, see, and I'll tell you why in a second. I need y'all to share this podcast. I'm choked up listening to the people, see, that are on the other side of this, that don't understand how important they are and how valuable they are. I'm reading that suicide, see, is the second leading cause of death among individuals between 10 and 34. Like, I just read that, and I'm just like, What? It's the second leading cause of death between the age of 10 and 34. So what this, this is telling me, and again, like she said, not minimizing anything. We know people are going through a lot. I literally had a, a conversation with my kids this morning. This world is crazy. Like, it's crazy. It's a lot of crazy stuff going on. But there's so many people looking at these numbers. See, there's so many people that aren't the Candace, that aren't the Jorge, that aren't the ET that are figuring out these, these tips that you just gave. So I'm, I'm really challenging people to please share this because like it's affecting this society now more than ever before. The second leading cause of death, which means people are giving up and they're not realizing what he's saying. Like, man, you are a victor. Like, seriously, like there's this one area. And again, it could be, it could be a million things, but there's this area that is crazy, yes. And, and E, to be real, there's some people that add on to it. You know what I mean? Like the situation really wasn't that bad. Now there's some people, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm asking you guys to share this podcast with people. Talk about this because it's, this is major. Like, I'll, I'll read it one more time. It's the second leading cause of death. It ain't cancer. It ain't, you know what I'm saying? It ain't diabetes. It ain't, yeah, it's the yeah, second. Yeah. Suicide is the second yeah, leading cause up. of death. Yeah. Like, I, I want that to ring into people's ears. The second leading cause of death, listen to the ages, between 10 and 34, where your life is just getting going. Like, right. that's, that's, it's messing me up. See, I'm just being real. That's messing me up, just reading that stat yeah, right I was now. there. Like I was 16 years old with that option. You know, I, rem I remember having that option at 16. Like, you know, I'm in abandoned buildings, and it was like, yo, mentally, I was kind of like, E, how you get here? You know, and it was so dark in front of me that I couldn't necessarily see the light. And I just remember saying to myself, like, man, this is, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if life is, like if this is what it's gonna be like the next five, 10 years, I don't know if I wanna keep going through winters. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I wanna go through the winter month to get to this, you know, but I do remember, and I just wanna encourage everybody, go get help. I told y'all I had a counselor, I had a therapist, you know, um, I started going to church and I'm not even on the religious stuff, but at church, it was like a community. It was a family. It was something that I looked forward to. There was people I could talk to. I put, put a song in your heart. I used to sing a lot. You know, listen to music. You know, do, you know, to get through those dark times. Music is powerful. You know, so when I had some of my darkest moments, I remember, like I said before, listening to, you know, Don't Worry, Be Happy. I, I, I memorized that song. I used to sing that song, you know, um, sitting at the dock of the bay, you know what I'm saying? Just whatever, sing songs, read books, um, you know, go online, look at positive videos, like the stuff, the content we put out, you know, um, have, have, like, have dreams and goals. You're like, but E, I'm in a dark place. Okay, what better time to start dreaming? And I, re I remember my first dream was, okay, I'm gonna get my GED so I could go to college. And I remember that GED gave me something to wake up to. It gave me something to live for. It gave me something to study for. It gave me a purpose. And then, I, then when I found out I passed and I could go to college, 
Now college gave me four more years. Well, really 12, but at the time, you know, I was like, <laughs> I got four years that I, that I could do something with my life. And so I don't have to really worry about tomorrow because I got four years that's going to occupy, you know, the next, you know, time frame of my life. So I'm saying, then I started dating and then that gave me hope that like, yo, I got somebody that loved me, somebody, you know what I'm saying? So whatever guys, I'm, you know, but I'm saying do something like whatever you, whatever is happening right now, just do the opposite of it. And let me just say this, maybe this is the nugget of the day. Like, yo, just know it's going to get better. Like, stop being pessimistic. Like, stop looking at the what can't happen. Start looking at what can happen. Like, look, y'all, for real. You're talking about somebody that went from living in abandoned buildings to, they said it, like in a penthouse in Jamaica. Like, do not give up hope. Whatever you do, don't give up hope. Like, just believe that this is the worst that life will ever be for you. And if you can get past today and get to tomorrow, that tomorrow's going to be a little bit better. And then next week is going to be a little better. And then next month is going to be a little better. And then, shoot, next year is going to be a whole lot better. If you could just make it past today, if you could just live through today and get to tomorrow, I'm telling you from experience, like, I'm, I'm not for real. I'm not, this ain't no nugget of the day that I'm just making up. I'm telling you, I used to just get up and say, yo, E, just make it through today, bro. You're going to get out of here. Like, like your life is not going to end in this abandoned building. This is not how your story is going to end, bro. Like, that, 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 that if you could make it to another day, tomorrow's going to be a brighter day. And I'm telling you, I went from that to I'm celebrating my daughter's like, not only did I not take my life, but I gave life to somebody else. And I'm celebrating my daughter's 21st birthday today. What if I would have given up in that abandoned building? How many people who are inspired by me wouldn't be inspired? So stop being selfish. If you continue to wake up and live your life, somebody else's life going to be blessed because of your life. So just get up, smile, you know, make it make it through today, man, and just know that really today might be the worst day you've ever experienced, but I don't think if you keep surviving, no day is going to be as bad as this day. And I'm just being real. I've had some bad days, yes, but nothing like was sleeping in that abandoned building. You know, nothing was like being in the winter months, cold months, sleeping in a car. My, I, I don't think I've ever experienced that again. So I'm promising you, if you get up and you don't quit and, and, you, and, and you pull and you use that willpower that you have to get you through, Man, I, I guarantee you tomorrow is going to be way brighter than today. And I don't necessarily mean tomorrow physically, but I mean a year from now, two years from now, that tomorrow is going to be way better than that today. But you'll never know what tomorrow will look like if you quit and give up. So do the ETA family, the S2S podcast family a favor. Do not give up on yourself. Do not take your life. Do not quit. Man, the best is yet to come. Hey, appreciate that nugget of the day, man. Shout out to our sponsor, Organifi. Man, we're going to cut this a little short today. Uh, I, e, I know you got to go um, do breakfast with the fam. This was, uh, I, I didn't anticipate this going this heavy, um, you know, but hey, well, you know, sometimes it's called for, man. And I think, you know, sometimes, you know, these genuine organic conversations got to happen. Hopefully, you know, the information today you know, help some people, um, and we'll leave maybe Carl a number at the end of the podcast. Just Please. for those of you who are going yeah. through it, for real, you 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 feeling us and you're hearing what we're saying. But you know, life is hard. The one, one of the things before we run, I want to make sure we get this out. Ian, if you want to speak to it, just thirty seconds. 
Uh, you said stop the bleeding. And again, I want to make it practical. Take yourself out of that environment that's making you feel that way. Like literally remove yourself from that environment. Like there's usually triggers, right? Like that that make us feel a certain way. So for real, man, if you online and you getting cyber bullied, like yo, take yourself off of that social media platform. Like don't look at everything. Like if you know that's one of your triggers is going on Facebook or Instagram and every time you go on there, it makes you feel a certain way. Get off of it. Let it go. If you're around certain people, you got certain friends that's making you feel like, yo, remove yourself from that equation. So E, real quick, man, as it relates to stopping the bleeding, just give us 30 seconds on how, you know, just taking yourself out of that toxic environment can kind of, you know, at least be the start to stopping that bleeding. Yeah, you said it. See, for me, it was uh, I started going to church, you know, so that was a different environment which means I started hanging out with different people who had different dreams and different goals. I started listening to different music. I started reading books. You know, I started going to the movies and changing what kind of movies I watched. You know, uh, I, I, I switched up, like I said, my music. And I started listening to music that was going to intentionally infuse me with hope. You know, um, I, I had a dream and a goal. I started dreaming. I started going to the libraries and reading. You know, so of course, Today, it might be going to a Starbucks and being on your computer. But to your point, see, there are a lot of positive environments and positive people. And we need to make an adjustment and say, well, maybe these were the people that, you know, you were friends with because this is the neighborhood you grew up in. So social, you know, like um, geographically and social economically, like these are the people that you were just given. But now choose your own friends. You don't have to hang out with the people who just live in your neighborhood. You can get on the bus or get on the train and go to another neighborhood, to their library. You can go to the movies on the other side of town. Like, I don't know, but to C's point, you have a choice. That's what we want you to know. You do have a choice and don't let people make you feel like you have to accept the life that was given to you. You can write your own narrative. You can write your own story. You can make your own choices, right? And I think that's what today is about. You don't have to be a victim to your circumstance. You could be a, vic a victor to your dreams and goals. Yeah, no doubt, man. I hope this podcast was helpful. We'll be back to making jokes and uh, clowning next week. Uh, this was, like I said, hopefully, you know, some information. If Carl said it, you know, we're you know, we not begging you to share, you know, the podcast. But if you know somebody who needs to hear some of this information, and um, again, man, just to hear it straight from E who you know, went through that and, and was in that dark place and found his way out. Um, I think this could be valuable for somebody. So hopefully um, you guys can share this podcast with somebody. Again, shout out to our sponsor, Organifi. Um, I don't, Carl, we have any, oh, announcements? Like we promised, guys, I just want to leave a resource, man, for anybody that's going through, you know, some stuff you just need somebody to talk to. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, it's called. You can call one 800 273 8255. And that's available 24 hours a day. And I believe they have an online chat as well. Um, so again, that number is 1-800-273-8255. 1 percent event, uh, Dallas and Chicago. E, give me the dates real quick again. If you got them. Uh, hand yeah, 1920. You know yeah, April 1920, Dallas. In Dallas, April 19th. Yep, Chicago. Yep, 26, 27. All right, cool. Go to etinspires.com. Hope to see you out at those events. Shout out to, to Maul, who's going to be holding it down at those events. Yes, sir. Um, it's yes, going to be sir. dope. 
Happy birthday to Jada, man, 21. I still can't believe it. Every time I look at her, I still see the Vivica Fox picture. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Back in LA, she looked like she, Boom Boom was about five. And um, yeah, man, happy birthday to Jada. And uh, shout out to to the whole Thomas family for getting another one to adulthood. So um, yeah, no, we uh, appreciate that nugget of the day, E. Carl. Much love, much love to everybody listening out there. We'll be back next week. I want you to focus on here right now. Don't you worry about when you get home. You make this, you concentrate on this opportunity. You don't worry about tomorrow. You concentrate on this opportunity with all your might, with all your